This is an off-the-cut future forecast podcast, and uh, today we're going to be talking about Ukraine, and we have no script this time, um, so we're just winging it. And Yeah, so this is something that Fox just came up just a couple of minutes ago, and we're both just like winging it. We're going to try something new. Uh, it seems like this is the topic that everyone's been talking about obviously it's all over the news we can just like tell you our interpretation don't take it as fact it's just purely opinion at this point there you go and anything we say is not investment advice so tread carefully guys so i guess um we'll start with uh what well tell us what do you know because i know I, I i i've been following it pretty closely um when the you know violence broke out i was like glued to the computer, um, watching it live stream on, uh, you know, on YouTube or whatever, and it's pretty televised. So I just wanted to know, you know, what what are your thoughts and what do you, what do you know about it, and then maybe we can go from there and see what we can talk. Okay, well, firstly, I'm a hyena, so I don't know much. In general, <laughs> but you know, uh, to be to be honest, I have bits and parts of what I do see. I mean. I will I'll try my best to kind of just say what I think I, I've seen so far because for the most part just for the audience I don't really watch the news in general I stopped it was quite um, which might be a good thing <laughs> it's quite it's quite disparaging to to watch the news uh, some uh, some days so it's just I kind of told myself nah no more it's just like uh, I'll read articles from here and there I'll listen to debates but you know, for the most part, n- nothing about the news. So, what do I know about the war in Ukraine? As far as I understand, Vladimir uh, Vladimir Putin is invading the country. Yeah, that's, it, that, that's, yeah, that, that's basically that's the good, crux great, of great. it. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, great. <laughs> but um, what I do understand is this was a slow uh, occupation. Uh, it started, I think, uh, I remember hearing about this back in 2014. Oh, okay, yeah, like, I mean, yeah, like, well, okay, we can go back, like, even probably further, um, so, um, yeah, like, I mean, well, in 2014, uh, Putin took over Crimea, mm-hmm. which is the small peninsula on the Black Sea, um, which was part of Ukraine at the time, and then now it's, I guess we can say contested, but it depends on which side of the camp you are on <laughs> some people will say now it's fully part of russia because it's basically under russian control at this point um but uh yeah so th- yeah that was like i guess the first main incursion into ukraine um that would have been i guess modern yeah so that's as far as i understood at the time back in 2014 mm-hmm. and moving uh moving uh moving forward to now i understand that um the Russian government uh, was uh, implementing um, military exercises for quite some time, which we all know what a military exercise <laughs> is. It's just basically, yeah, we're going to just slowly creep into this X and Y country and then, you know, just start like building some infrastructure here and there, but just very slowly. And you know, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to wait and just going to see what's your response. And that's as far as I understand. They were pretty much at the border entering Ukraine, if I understood correctly. Mm-hmm. And they added certain, um, I think, military bases or or military infrastructure uh, zones there. And that's pretty much as far as I understand. And I think at some point or another, there are I think anyway, they were just like, you know what, F it, let's just, let's just go and invade, and yeah. they just went all out. Yeah, so. definitely. Yeah, okay. so basically, I would say that's a pretty good summary for people who are, um, you know, not following too closely the story. Um, yeah, so right now, uh, Russia is still um, trying to make inroads into the country. They've, you know, they had massed forces on all, so basically surrounding Ukraine um, right until the end of the Olympics in Beijing. And basically, they had stationed, yeah, like around 140,000 troops, if I remember correctly, um, around Belarus, uh, Eastern um, Russia, well, I guess Western Russia, Eastern Ukraine, um, as well as in Crimea, which is like, I guess, in the south of Ukraine. And then in the 
Black Sea. They had amassed a fleet of um, amphibious assault ships, and they had at some point, I think it was like, like 40 warships in the Black Sea, and they're the only ones allowed in the Black Sea. Like, because um, there's like a there's a whole maximum amount of tonnage of warships allowed in the Black Sea because of some treaties with Turkey and like things like that. Turkey controls the um, Strait of Oh man, I'm forgetting the, the name of it. The Strait of Anyways, the one that basically that goes through Istanbul, the strait through Is it Istanbul. Gibl- uh, Gib- no, Gibraltar's in Gibraltar. Um, yeah. Not Hormuz. Not. Uh, uh, I just know. I just know Gallipoli, and <laughs> I don't even think that's Gallipoli. So, uh, anyone listening to me, just you, you guys can throw rocks at me. Any, anyway, yeah. <laughs> no, no, we we won't uh, we won't uh, throw rocks at you for that. But uh, but yeah. Anyways. Um, so there's a whole, like, uh, you can only have a maximum amount of uh, warships in, in Black Sea. They, they amassed that amount. And uh, they also had stationed troops in, Mold- well, Transnistria, which is a breakaway region of Moldova funded by Russia. And, um, and yeah, so they have, um, and also in Kaliningrad, which is, you know, the former Prussia, I guess. And they invaded uh, Ukraine with, you know, from all sides. And... Yeah, at this point, they've seized control of Kherson, which is in the south, and they're trying to take Mariupol, which is like a very key location, which will allow them to have like a land bridge to Crimea. So they're basically fighting in Mariupol, and then they've kind of tried to surround Kiev, which is the capital, and they're like basically facing fierce resistance from um, Ukraine at this point. And yeah, they like right now they've had a lot of logistical challenges. That uh, I don't know if like they were prepared for, but like you see like lots of news about them um, having like they can't get the fuel to the front lines. Anything past like seventy kilometers from the border, they can't like sustain an invasion. And like people are questioning like, you know, why is that really like? Shouldn't they have been prepared for this? Basically, they've hit um, like the 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 winter was not uh, cold enough to freeze the ground, and so tanks cannot tread over the mud because it's all like marshlands in um in ukraine mm-hmm. and basically they can't get the tanks across the fields and so they're taking highways but highways are like you know easily barricaded or like they're just picking off all the tanks with like american-made weapons basically that are like donated quote-unquote and um yeah basically they're like real having a miserable time like uh, the the troops they were told that they were like doing like you said like uh, training exercises for three days and then they're like oh yeah like uh yeah keep walking that way and like isn't that the ukrainian border and like keep walking <laughs> and then basically like, after three days they run out of food and then the, the supply lines are not like good enough to get food to the soldiers and then the soldiers are having to defect because they're like basically like starving and well i don't know how much of this is propaganda or not but maybe this is the truth you know how, how, how you'll never really know the truth but um but yeah that seems to be what's like what's happening so basically they thought that they would just walk in and then they're getting to a point where they're like they can't even like sustain the invasion and so they're resorting to like even more deadly weapons basically they wanted to like walk in so they can take um the city unharmed basically because then they would be able to like you know have have uh, an expanded territory but what's the use of expanding your territory if everything's just bombed a bit like bits right well so. like the th- as you're as you're mentioning this, this kind of reminds me of World War Two, where the Germans had a Blitzkrieg or Operation Bar- mm-hmm. uh, Barbarossa. Yeah, and it's it's just kind of this. It's kind of strange that Russia is now doing something similar to this, where they're just going all out and hoping that they would win in X amount of days or X amount of weeks, hoping that the uh, that the opponent will just falter and they will just go down but it looks like this is not working out as expected which mm-hmm. is yeah exactly like so i think it's like very similar to like what you're mentioning operation barbarossa or whatever and uh yeah they, they had only prepared for like basically three days they thought oh yeah in 2014 we like took it in i don't know how much it was like maybe two weeks or whatever mm-hmm. like yeah this is gonna be look how many troops we've amassed it's gonna be so simple we're gonna like walk in we're gonna like kill the president put in a puppet government and get the fuck out and, um, and basically, uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like that's happened this time. Basically, like, the whole international community is like, whoa, 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 no way, right? This time, they're like, 
you know, they're actually doing something about it. And, um, and yeah, like, uh, it's, um, pretty intense right now. Like the fighting, like now, like no man can leave the country. They all have to fight if they're between 18 and 60. So you have basically effectively like a 20 million person. Ukraine has, is one of the largest countries in Europe, right? Like even it land wise and population wise, it's like 40 million people. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's like, it's one third the size of Russia, let's say one third to one fourth. So, but now they have 20 million men, let's say of fighting age that are like forced to stay and fight and are willing to fight. And, uh, the Russian army, let's say they have, uh, I don't know, I don't know the exact number. I think it's like 300,000 personnel and like 140,000 were amassed on the border. So like half their army's there already. They can't really afford to bring the other half because they'll leave their country undefended basically. And then right. like, you know, China could just walk in or whoever, right? <laughs> At that point. So basically they're like stretching themselves. Yeah, like in. what they have on the border is basically like what they have to yeah. like offer and they can't get like more. And to, to occupy like um like a country, I think they said like you need like 20 to 1, like like 20 uh, one, one military like personnel for every 20 citizens mm-hmm. which would mean like you need like tons of people like I guess 200,000 200, I guess that's the math and no even more 2 even million yeah, you more. need 2 million right um, so then you would never be able to like occupy it with the forces they have it's just like um, it's just basically impossible <laughs> so it's like what is their what was their end goal I guess it was to install the public government and get out and, uh, and then, like, uh, hope that the Ukrainian people would just, like, accept the new government as is. And, uh, and then they would, like, willingly vote to, like, join Russia or something like that. And uh, everyone would be cool with it. Which... It's, it's kind of like, it, like, try, like I, I'm not trying to be facetious, but in a way, it just kind of reminds me of the Rick and Morty episode where Rick and Morty, they're like, yeah, this is going to be a quick operation, Morty. Like, it's going to be in and out. And then they just go in and they get out and they start breaking down after, I don't know how many days has it been. They're just like, no, like, no more, no more. So, you know, just kind of, like, I, I know I'm I'm putting light, to, way too much light into such a such a horrible, uh, tragic event that's, that's going on. But uh, it's just... It's unbelievable that it's happening, but hey, this this is actually happening now. That's that's insane. That's yeah. Insane. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, like uh, like the yeah, like I don't know where you want to like move with this discussion, but like the geopolitical and global like um, impacts are like very very large. Yeah. So I'm not like we can we can start like moving between a couple of things. I think I have a bone with with the way things are being announced the way things are going uh, going about it um i think i think what i see is that it's quite binary it's kind of like you have to pick a side you're either pro-russian or pro-ukrainian and i've never understood that it's i guess it's because like they both have something to lose and they both are fighting for something I like I've never I've never thought about it personally that there that Ukraine was the good and the Russians were bad. I've mm-hmm. never I've never thought about it this way. I yeah. I still don't think of Vladimir Putin's uh, is a bad person. I don't uh. think so. I mean, a lot of people will be totally uh, against this and I think it, I think it's because I try to look at the perspective of the individual mm-hmm. itself, their goals, the background the reasoning now my question is is why is he doing this mm-hmm. yeah. like yeah yeah no that's a fair uh, statement so yeah like i mean everyone like i think like everyone in life is uh you know both like good and bad like it's always um forces that are you know beyond well not beyond your control but like there are larger forces at play that will like shape what you do mm-hmm. basically and so um like all of this, uh, like trying to take Ukraine and kind of reestablish the Soviet Union, all goes back to like the Russian, like the st- stereotypical Russian playbook. There's actually like a, a book written in like the 80s or something called like, I don't know, like the, 
called like War of Nations or something like that. I don't know what you can look it up. Basically, just look up for like Russian playbook, a uh, geopolitical playbook or something. But it basically like, outlines like exactly how Russia needs to behave in order to defeat the West, and um, and secure their own like I guess military security or uh, I guess geographic security. And um, this is basically right out of that book. And everything that Putin's done is basically out of that book because it's like the consensus in Russia is that that is the way to do it. So basically the problem with Russia is that if you look at a map, it's very hard to defend. Um, there's a lot of borders that are like indefensible and like flat and empty. And so the playbook of Russia is that it needs to have a lot of buffer states to prevent itself from being invaded by foreign forces. So basically, they always, the Russian people always feel that their like, security is always at risk because in a way it kind of is. Like you, you, like, so Ukraine is like super flat. Mm-hmm. And that's precisely why, let's say in German, Germany in 1945 or in Napoleon in 1812, like walked straight through Ukraine and right to Moscow's capital, right, right the capital yeah, of Moscow. Exactly. And that's because there's no like big, there's no like big river to defend, like divide Russia. There's no um, mountain ranges to divide like Russia from Europe. Um, so they have the Ural Mountains, which is behind Moscow. So any invasion from the west has no really border, no real border. So basically like they can't really defend themselves and the only way to close there's like there's a name for that gap there is something gap um basically it, it goes from germany all the way till you know moscow and it's just flatlands and the only way to close the gap is to get closer and closer to germany basically and so they need poland they need ukraine they need moldova they need all the baltic nations to be like their buffer states or else people can just roll tanks right through. They also similarly need Georgia to uh, bring their um, line, uh, the, like the mountain ranges of the Caucasus. They need to have Georgia as the buffer, and they need Kazakhstan to take the desert as their buffer. And then they needed um, basically like Manchuria, which they did take and hold um, after the Opium Wars, I think, in 1840, after China. Uh, Basically, the they took it from opium, China. The first Opium War or the second one? I don't remember, like, first or second. Okay. Whatever, 1812, that, 18, uh, Yeah, 1812 was the first Opium War, and I think the second one is sometime, 1830, like... 1830, something like I, that. Really? I thought it was 1880. Anyways, Anyways yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah, they took it, right? Yeah. They took... And then Japan came and took it, and they got it back after the World War Two. But they need that, basically, to um, solidify their whole, um, I guess, area, right? Right. And then their playbook is that they take that territory and then keep all those countries weak by making them fight amongst each other. So that's why you see Ukraine had taken parts of Poland. That's why um, in the West, Lviv was actually like a Polish um, city. It looks mm-hmm. it looks Polish. You go there, it looks exactly like um, Krakow or Warsaw. Like it looks the same. And um, so basically they've divvied up the countries. Even like if you look at Azerbaijan, they, they own parts of Armenia or Armenian parts of Azerbaijan. And, um, and basically... Uh, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, and Kyrgyzstan, they have the Furvana Valley and it's all divvied up like ridiculously and it's all made, in, like it's designed by the R- Russians to make them all fight amongst each other. And so that way they can keep them weak and they keep them as buffer states. Mm-hmm. And it's all part of the playbook. So basically, uh, now you have a case where Ukraine is trying to move towards the West because the only way for Ukraine to uh, stop this Russian invasion is to ally with a stronger power, which is to ally ally themselves with Europe, which is because c- you know the west of Ukraine is mostly like Polish. Let's say Pol- I don't want to say of Polish descent, but they're like affiliated with Poland and okay. U- Lithuania, and uh, the east of Ukraine is mostly Rus- of Russian affiliation. The real delineation is probably somewhere along the Dnieper River, which is the main river that cuts. Uh, Ukraine in half. Okay. So, like, if you wanted to really, um, you know, get a more stable country, you would probably have the West ally with, um, you know, like, uh, Europe, and then the East, like, probably side with Russia, and then you would have a more stable country, but then 
nobody would accept that because you're basically splitting a country in two mm-hmm. and like ukraine would freak out obviously yeah um but yeah so the natural alliance is to shift between the two and right now like it's in there like they feel it's in their interest to ally with the, with the west get into nato get into the european union and then that would secure their I guess their um, defense. Yeah, their defense because they have now like a couple of countries. Well, they have like an entire nation. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and basically like, and then Russia sees that, and Putin sees that, and he's like, "Fuck no!" Like, <laughs> I'm not letting like the one buffer I need. Like that's the biggest one, right? It's Belarus and Ukraine is like and Poland, but Poland's lost to them, and they're freaking out about that. But uh, <laughs> when Poland joined NATO and uh, and um, the Euro- European Union, right? Mm. And because uh, Poland is like more closely related, I would say with like Germany, like because Prussia was kind of. What about Belarus? I thought Belarus was pro-Russian. It is, yeah, it still is. Okay. So it's basically like a vassal state at this point. Like okay. literally, like even during this war, like they've basically they're sending troops from Belarus into Ukraine to help. They've allowed all the stationing of the troops. Um, the dude, uh, what's his name? Lukashenko. Lukashenko, like crazy dude. He's basically like, uh, like. Uh, Deep throating uh, Putin at this point. <laughs> I don't know if we can say that on the podcast, but this yeah. is a uh, eh, it is what it is. No filter podcast. No filter right? podcast. There we go. We're not uh, subsidized that. by any uh, you know organization here <laughs> <laughs> yet. Come on, man, give me a sponsor. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, so yeah, that guy. He's literally been like. I, I think what they've done is they've actually like told them that he's gonna get like control of Ukraine if they like succeed, mm-hmm. and then that's why he's like. Yay, like, I'll do anything. And uh, that guy's, like, a tool, man. <laughs> like, even I think Putin knows he's retarded, that guy. Like, he's probably like, haha, this guy's so stupid. Look at him. <laughs> uh, what was that country there? Um, fudge. I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember uh, the, the country that was in war in 1995. Um, Kosovo? Or? I think it is Kosovo. Kosovo. Yeah, yeah like Serbia think... and Kosovo. Yeah, Serbia. And, um, oh, wait, there was also... Um, no, uh, Bosnia. Bosnia. There yeah, you go. Bosnia, Bosnia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they pro-Russian or are they... Uh... Um, if I remember correctly, there was like... Obviously, it was the Bosnians that were supported by the um, US, I think. And then the, I guess, the Serb side, right? Mm-hmm. It's Bosnians, Croats, and Serbs that live there, I think it was. And um, the Serbian side is supported by um russia and that's why serbia is still pro-russia to this day and that's why they're not in the european union basically um but that's starting to change because they're basically surrounded on all sides by european countries and they see all the european countries doing really well and they're like hmm (laughs) why we suck (laughs) yeah i've been to serbia it's lovely but uh (laughs) um but yeah it's definitely not as um you know it's falling behind it's croatian and uh hungarian counterparts and romanian counterparts and um yeah that's basically because of their russian pro-russian policy but uh yeah they, they were one of the ones that i think refused to like uh, denounce uh like russia like okay. when there was the un vote they yeah. like abstained so i think they were still like kind of on the fence right yeah and now they're they're actually pro pro um what is it uh pro towards uh europe no, like right now they're like kind of on the fence. Like they need, they need, the yeah, they okay. need to play both sides, right? They can't be, they can't. Uh, I think they can't afford to, to take a side at this point. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's all. Yeah, there was like a vote, a UN vote, and it was like only like three countries or something that like approved of Russia's decision, and it's like, I think it was like India, China, and like Eritrea or something like that, and you're like, okay, <laughs> like, wow, yeah, that's that's interesting. That, that brings me to the next question. Like, is India helping out Russia in this case? Um, so India <laughs> so India is kind of stuck in this position where... So India does get a lot of help from Russia. Like, they buy a lot of weapons from Russia to combat Pakistan and, um, and China. Mm-hmm. And they also get a lot of phosphate, I think it is. Phosphate or nitrogen or fertilizer. It's basically fertilizer. Okay. Yeah. They get like 90% of their fertilizer from Russia. Mm-hmm. And so they're in this position where if they do not support Russia, they will starve to death. <laughs> and there will be mass um, starvation in, mass famines, in yeah. India. Yeah. And yeah, so this is actually getting to the geopolitical implications is that I think this summer, because right now um, they, they uh, sanctioned Russia by stopping SWIFT. 
Yeah. So basically, like, nobody can buy anything from Russia at this point. Unless, I think there's, like, some deal trying to be worked out if you buy in yuan, like, Chinese renminbi. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they'll be able to, like, buy some fertilizer. But, like, at this point, um, like, nobody can buy fertilizer from Russia. And so India needs all of its, fert- like, needs to get its fertilizer from Russia. And a lot of countries are in the same position, like Iran, um, like, uh, probably Turkey, probably, like, uh, Ethiopia, uh, like a lot of these kind of countries, right? Like Nigeria, I think. So, um, and okay, so I don't know if you know this, but I think it's something like Ukraine supplies like 70% of all wheat to like Europe and Russia supplies like 30% of all global wheat okay. to the world. Yeah. So like combined, it's something like 60% of all wheat production or something, some crazy number like that. Mm-hmm. And right now, there will be no harvest, <laughs> There will be right now is planting season, like in well, I mean, let's say in the next month. So if this conflict conflict drags out for another month till like April, there will be no planting season in Ukraine. There will be no planting season in Russia, um, because they they cannot afford to like buy seeds. They cannot they cannot access global markets for fertilizer. They cannot access anything. There's people are not working because the the ruble is like now, like one thirtieth of what it was like three weeks ago. <laughs> Like, right. ruble is basically worthless currency at this point. Right. Like, it's, like, hyperinflation. <laughs> I think they have 25% inflation a week at this point. Wow. And okay. um, so, basically, it's, like, complete chaos, and um, there won't be a planting season. And if there's no planting season, like, basically, uh, China starves. Uh, China, we can talk about that later because there's, like, big problems there. Um, India starves, and Iran, and Ethiopia, and Nigeria, and Egypt, and all these countries. This is, like, half of the world at this point. So you might see, and it won't happen this year, because like maybe there's reserves. They they probably have exactly. It's gonna take some time. It's gonna. But it's like your harvest is done, and so you won't be once you draw down those reserves, uh, like by September there's no new harvest. So basically by September you'll start seeing people, like not affording to eat. I would say, and so they can't like phosphate like also the nitrogen is gonna affect like China. They need to. They can't grow wheat. And they're gonna need to uh, switch probably to rice, um, but like it, they don't have enough rice to feed their whole population. They actually import rice from like Vietnam, from Japan, from America. Mm-hmm. Like they literally can't feed themselves, uh, China. Mm-hmm. So um, what's gonna happen? Like the right now, there's also swine flu going around. Like um, basically, they called called almost all of their pig stock last year, so they have no pigs left. <laughs> And that's not making the news because China has a great firewall. Yeah. But there was like pig prices like were up like 100% or something. And also coal prices um, this winter were up like 1,000% or something like that. Really? Yeah. They, they can't afford to even like heat their houses at some point. Um, like this is all happening mostly in like villages. Okay. Because um, China makes sure that the cities are well stocked. Because the cities is where like everyone has technology. They have access to like you know, information mm-hmm. and like the peasants in the farmer countryside, like, okay, whatever, like they can kind of control them. And so, but it's, there's actually like a very difficult times happening in the countrysides of China. So it's, this is kind of interesting because everybody's all about fear, fear about China, fear about what it's going, what it's, what are their implications yet? So, yeah, so I, I would not fear China yet. Okay. And that's because they cannot, they're basically contained within their own country by the archipelagos of like you know Japan, Taiwan, um, the Strait of Malacca, which is um, like Singapore. Mm-hmm. Like all trade, all trade goes basically through there to get to, to China. Um, now with the Ukrainian conflict, the um, these Trans-Siberian railway is effectively cut off from the rest of the world. They cannot import from Europe anything. Everything has to go through the Strait of Malacca and the Strait of um, like the um, the canal, the the Egyptian, the Suez Canal. Oh, the Suez, yeah. Um, so basically, like there's and and the Black Sea, like everything's a choke point for for China at this point, and so the only way I th- I see this being resolved is if China backstabs Russia, and because the ruble is so worthless, they like buy out Siberia, and that could be like this crazy like power move where they were like. Because because basically Putin at the end of the Olympics he went to um, China 
And he was basically like, hey, are you going to like support me in this war? And they were like, yeah, sure. Yeah, why not? And then they go back to their people, China, and they're probably laughing like, ha, 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 ha. Like, these guys so stupid. He's going to like crash his currency. And then we're going to like buy up their shit for cheap. And so if they actually buy Siberia, what happens? Like, well, they regain their territory that they lost in 1840 or 1813. Mm-hmm. So it's a political win. They get to, like, be we you know establish the han empire whatever it is and then they get access to the arctic which is something they always wanted to have because there's going to be like free the the this because of global warming there's going to be ice free uh, summers basically and you can actually transport stuff from you know really really quickly it also stops the bering strait as being a blocker it stops like all their basically they can get to europe through from china to norway at that point Mm -hmm. without going through any of these choke points Mm -hmm. and it would be like even one eighth of the time because they don't have to go like the the, the route is really long right right and then they would also yeah they would basically um there's a lot of uh good farmland there along the trans-siberian railroad Mm -hmm. so they would effectively like secure their own um like food independence and they would also have oil which is something they don't have any of basically but I'm wondering now, so this is if China were to buy uh, Siberia, yeah. but how would that ever happen? Like, is it just because <clears throat> Siberia right now is currently for sale or is it more No, like-, like I think, well, yeah, so I think like as this drags out, like Putin will, Putin like amassed a, like a war chest knowing that this would happen. So he stocked up on gold and... On, he like divested all his like western currencies and like switched like you know yuan and other kind of currencies like that and mm-hmm. bitcoin i don't know what, whatever he did but um basically he was preparing so that if u.s sanctioned him he wouldn't have any like debts back like from like to owe to, to owe russia uh, to owe us right okay yeah so he prepared for this but there's only so much money that he has right he has probably like six months of currency mm-hmm. and then once that happens like his country basically fall like they have no more money and the only way to get more money is to print more money which would create inflation and then everyone would you know riot and so the only way basically to stop this would maybe be to raise money and like how do you raise money well maybe he'll sell off state-owned enterprises to china chinese buyers so maybe something like that maybe he won't like own they won't control the like country itself but they'll control like all the ports and maybe they'll sell off the ports maybe like privatize the ports privatize the you know oil wells the railroad you know things like that so basically it'll keep the the workers employed Mm -hmm. so they won't really notice it quote unquote like it's like a sneaky way but like they won't own it anymore and um and yeah that might happen you might see something like that where where china just basically buys up all the the assets Mm -hmm. to raise money but then but then so this is under the assumption that they would sell this to China. What happens if they sell this to India? Yeah, they, they might, but it's like China has way more money than India, first of all. <laughs> and um, it's not that like useful strategically to India. It's so far away. Like, what are they going to do with oil wells in Siberia? They still have to get it out of the country, right? Right. But like China has direct links to the Siberian Railroad. And um, like it, it would be very easy to bring you know buy that railroad up and then and there are no other countries that would be suitable other than china is is it just like like they might they might like force people like kazakhstan or mongolia but these are countries that don't have that much money like they're like it's not like china like 1.4 billion people right like you need it yeah and then yeah so and everyone else is probably like pro-west right like why would you know mexico or something something like that buy it up they'd be like well they'll get sanctions if they do it right yeah yeah now my question is, is that let's say let's say uh, China were to not China sorry Russia were to stop this war mm-hmm. they they'd be like okay you know what yeah. I bit more than I could chew uh, I'm way over my head mm-hmm. I'm just gonna call quits guys yeah. you know let's just completely stop this what are the repercussions at that point yeah so I don't think that will ever happen but so China, yeah no like, and I'll tell you why yeah. so basically if he says like. Um, yeah, like we're, we're just giving up. So he's basically going to be telling his people that like all of this was for nothing. I lost. I'm like weak. Russia is weak. Um, we got nothing out of this. 
and now like what like if if they back out like they're gonna have to have reparations to pay probably to ukraine or else the sanctions won't get lifted so they'll be in like a terrible terrible situation and they would have gotten like no like nothing out of it right and so maybe yeah. like they'll get toppled so basically there's a lot of oligarchs in russia right like there's yeah. like a few people that control everything yeah. so before what i was saying with china like buying up the assets at least the oligarchs are going to make their money off of the the stuff they mm -hmm. own the ports they own the railroad so they'll make money off of it. they'll be happy they don't care about the russian people yeah um but in this case the oligarchs just lose all them all their money is sanctioned all their yachts are seized like they were seizing all these yachts like all their uh, Swiss bank accounts were frozen the first time in history, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, all the bank accounts are frozen. They have no more money. They they're all pissed off. Yeah. Like there's even like leaked documents of like the oligarchs like complaining like what the fuck is this like what are they doing this guy's an asshole like yeah so they're all pissed off so if if they back out basically it's all for nothing and like everyone's all of the Russian people have lost so they the, this they cannot do. So the only like maybe option is to take Ukraine at all costs and then they can justify to their constituents like look we won we took it over and um, the only way to do that is to use more and more devastating weapons so you're st starting to see them use like um, these like banned mines like mines that are like look like children's toys and so children pick them up and like it detonates and um, they're starting that is banned by Geneva Convention it's like a UN it's against UN convention yeah. they're also using like phosphate I think weapons like it's like the ones that like burn people oh like chlorine gas and whatnot well like, yeah we haven't seen I don't think we've seen like chem like that chemical yet but it's like yeah the phosphate bombs that like burn really bright and um, things like that um, so you're starting to see them like more and more desperate basically to take it over and yeah. basically they're saying like you know they're they're probably saying like oh if if we don't get it nobody can we're just gonna like raise it to the ground at one point so Wow. Okay. Yeah. So they're really, so they're really going all for nothing. Yeah. Um, like basically, the all only, nothing, I would say the only way to stop this is if the people revolt enough that they'll kill Putin. Like the his own people will have to kill Putin, and they'll have to drag him out. Right now he's hiding in a bunker or something. It's so funny. Like there was like a um, he had like photoshopped him, like green screened himself into like a UN like into like a press room or something with other people, and then like his hand went through the microphone. And then people were like, look, it's all fake, it's all a green screen. And then Zelensky, the um, president of Ukraine, he basically, like, moved his microphone on one of his press conferences, just like a big fuck you. <laughs> like, look, I'm real, and you're not. Like, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, once again, once again, back to the subject, it's just like, it's interesting that that Putin is, is going, going all out on this. Um, it's, it's like, is there any sympathy whatsoever for what he's doing or is this just like nah he he made his bed i mean sympathy from who uh sympathy towards towards russia or to like from the international community or no from from your end like what do you think oh uh, um uh not really like i mean he he made a bad move and like i think he was misguided because basically he's secured so much power by force like, nobody in his party is, like, willing to tell him no. Basically, he probably asked them, like, hey, can I invite Ukraine? And they're like, yeah, everything's going to be fine. We're going to crush them. Like, look at all these weapons that work. And then, like, when, when push comes to shove, like, it wasn't the truth. And, I mean, uh, not really. Like, I mean, uh, that's kind of what happens to dictatorships. You saw it in Iraq. You saw it in Libya. Like, it's, it's always the same play. And, uh, I mean, like dictators they can't afford to like step down or else they'll be killed so mm -hmm. like he's kind of like forced to play this forever but yeah no i mean that's that's what happens to dictatorship so eventually it was going to happen <laughs> do you think do you think had he prepared a bit longer because it was kind of mm -hmm. smart what he did withdrew all uh, all of his reserves or all all money from from the united states mm -hmm. buying gold yeah. do you think that if he had just waited a little bit longer mm -hmm. just played just played it a little more do you think this could have been successful or this could be mm -hmm. like i mean it, it was like a fine balancing act like i think his hands would basically force like eventually ukraine was gonna try and join europe like they would already been trying for years okay so like eventually like this government Zelensky's government is very very pro europe okay and before that it was like a pro russian government and probably like a puppet government and um, this is like the first time, like, well, no, I don't know if it's the first time, but 
you know, like if it had kept going in this direction, um, Zelensky was already planning to make a bid and they were like trying to get back the, um, you know, Kharkiv, like um, the eastern part, which had like the rebel factions like supported by Russia. Mm-hmm. And um, so I don't know, there was probably there's probably information that we don't know that like led him to do this now. Um, and like maybe we'll find out in 10 years or 20 years when they unclassify it. But there was probably some sort of like, oh, he's being backed, like Ukraine's being backed by somebody like U.S. because now we have Biden administration before it was like um, Trump. Trump was more pro-Putin kind of thing. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, now like maybe they, Biden had given the go to like help Ukraine and this is all like the way U.S. has acted on this is like top notch, man. Like it really shows like how good U.S. is. And you, it, so basically, like, logistically, um, spy-wise, like, like uh, informationally, mm-hmm. um, like, it seems that, like, everything is by the book in, in the U.S. And they're, like, it really shows, like, how good of, like, a command structure and a logistical structure they still have, which is something that now you're seeing that Russia does not. Like, Russia was all, like, paper, tiger, like, um, like you know, it lo- makes them look like they can transport all these troops, but really like it took them like four months by rail to like amass 120,000 troops and like if you look at like desert storm in like the 90s uh when they went to iraq it was like done in like a few weeks and like usa really like crushed everyone in like 24 hours and it was like um you know like you can watch videos on youtube of how it was done it was like perfectly orchestrated like all like hundreds and hundreds of like divisions and everything and now you see like russia like oh the troops can't even like find food they can't find oil they can't they can't like you know get oil with water to the front lines like it's like a total mess and so they've kind of like showed that like oh usa is still the dominant power like if you want to project power like usa still has it and um russia's like screwed and now china's looking at this and they're probably like they're probably taking notes man they're like holy shit we're so fucked still like they thought they were like having the upper hand on on the u.s because that's kind of what it seemed but like logistics really wins wars not military might if as long as it's like a drawn-out conflict Right. And you're seeing, like, USA can, like, mobilize, like, you know, 10,000 miss- rocket launchers to Poland within, like, 24 hours. Meanwhile, Russia can't even get, like, enough AK-47s to their own people after, like, three months. <laughs> like, stuff like that. Do you think, do you think that, let's say, and I know I'm gonna, I'm just gonna jump out of the current subject, but mm-hmm. do you think that the states will ever go into war with China? I don't think they'll need to. Okay. I think I think as long as like I said like as long as they don't get Siberia because I think that might be a way out of it and that'll really change the the world order I think. Yeah. Um, because it solves like most of China's problems, Mm -hmm. but China like if you look at history, um, China is basically has to always focus all of its attention and resources and political will and everything into securing itself Mm -hmm. because they can't keep their people together. There's too many people. They don't have the resources they need. And they're, like, I think they're surrounded by, like, what, like, 19 countries or something like that? Like, something, they have a crazy amount of borders. Okay. And, like, if you look at USA, they're, like, food independent, oil independent. They, they only go out to get, like, food from, like, or whatever, like, uh, oil from, like, Saudi because it's cheaper, right? Like, they really don't care. Like, <laughs> they, can, they can fuel themselves. They can feed themselves. They're, they, they supply, like, I think they create 300%, like, more food than they need or something like that. Yeah. And same thing with oil. It's like almost 150% of the oil they need. And um, and then they only have two borders. One with Canada, which is basically like a vassal state <laughs> to the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, basically, like, without the U.S., Canada has no security guarantee and they'll be invaded by anybody. <laughs> like, basically. And that's why the U.S. just uses that like as like a frozen wasteland buffer <laughs> from the north. Yeah. And, um, and then Mexico, which is basically... Also, like a you know, it's, it's basically the only country that USA needs is Mexico, because USA has like a, a Mexico has like a very young, industrious population, mm-hmm. and um, but Mexico likes that relationship, so basically they have no border threats, they have giant oceans that they, that nobody can like get to, mm-hmm. get like across, and basically, like they don't need anybody else, right? <laughs> like geopolitically, they yeah. don't need like USA does not need anyone else. You saw like. It's only in the last, like, hundred years that USA has been, like, you know, the, the projecting its power, right? Before World War One, I, I think, or even World War Two, USA, like, kept to itself. 
mostly. Like, I think there was, like, the Philippines, which was, like, a U.S. colony, and they, there yeah. was, like, a few, like, forays, but, like, mostly in general, they just kept to themselves, and they don't, they don't have to care about anyone. But, like, yeah, China's always had to, like, fight for its own survival, and you've seen USA, uh, China collapse, like, so many times throughout history. Mm-hmm. You know, Han Dynasty, Qing Dynasty, um, Mao Dynasty, uh, I think Mao or Zhao, I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> a joe dynasty like whatever like over his history has repeated itself like every few hundred years they've always collapsed and then they've had a lot of warring factions and a period of war and then they've regained control consolidated and then collapsed again it's only over and over again but usa doesn't have that history right since its founding it's i think it's one actually if you think about it it's actually one of the oldest countries in the world like politically um like politically structured yeah like, the government has been the same government since 1776. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So, yeah. basically, I, I think, like, politically, it is, I think, the one of the oldest countries. I think maybe, like, maybe if you want to count, like, the UK monarchy. But then they've had, like, upheavals where they had the, the government installed. But, um... I mean, that's the same thing as Canada. Like, I know yeah. we're straying away far from... No, but this UK is good, yeah. Stuff, but it's just, it's just that... I'm just curious about yeah. that. So it is, it is true. We've had like the the states has has had the same government for what the last two hundred three hundred years almost yeah years. almost yeah two fifty yeah. The only like major war that they had between each other like within each other was the Confederate the, yeah, Confederate the Civil War, war. Yeah. yeah Civil exactly. War. But aside from that, mm-hmm. that's it. And we could say the same thing with Canada. What Ca- uh, Canada fighting against each other, not. So it was like more peaceful yeah, yeah like there's not enough yeah like what do we have i don't even know like i mean the like i mean we're still technically like part of the british empire like i mean <laughs> if you think about it like we're still yeah, we're okay sure Congo. we're like independent but it was like very you know peaceful transition yeah and there was never any yeah like canadians don't have a very like war minded attitude I guess. No, they're they're all just like peace and love and just <laughs> do our vindictive stuff. Like. Yeah, which is like a blessing and a, I guess like a, I don't know, like it has, you know, two sides to it, I guess. I, I guess, I guess so. yeah. But I mean... Like, we're very passive, like we're, we're always like screwed by our own governments and stuff and we nobody does anything. They're all like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, back, back to Ukraine itself, like, so... Like Ukraine's a very young country. It's only 1991. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 crazy. And then you go back, and it was basically like a re- part of the Russian, um, you know, the Soviet Empire, and then before that, it was, um, I guess it was part. I guess it had. I don't know. It was probably like a briefly a, a independent country from nineteen eighteen, like before World War One. I, I know it was part of the Polish Lithuanian Empire. Okay. And then probably like you have to go back to basically Kievan Rus. Yeah, the to, to like yeah, find yeah. A, a time when it was basically independent and, yeah. and at that point they were the ones that uh, established the Moscovite Empire I think yes. so basically if you go back far enough like Kiev, like Ukraine is Russia <laughs> basically technically, technically yeah. it is because it started yeah. off with Ukraine yeah. because they that's where the that's where the Kievan Rus yeah. were, 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 were so it's at. like basically the same yeah. people and um, ah. yeah I mean it's interesting it's, it's interesting how how the dynamics keep changing or has yeah. has changed over time. That's but, why this war is kind of like crazy, right? It's like they're yeah. themselves fighting themselves. If you think about it, at yeah. the end of the day, they they speak such a close language. It's like almost I think it's mutually intelligible. Right. Like Eastern Slavic. It, it's one of the three Eastern Slavic languages with Belarusian and and Russian, Ukrainian. So so they could understand each other. It's yeah. so so you could say like uh, like for me my understanding would be or my way of comparing it would be like um Germans and Austrian German or Germans Yeah, and, I think it's that close. Yeah. German. I'm not an expert, but I think it's that yeah, close. We're yeah, we're not linguists. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but I think I think it is that that yeah. like almost that close like um like Polish versus Ukrainian is like much farther. Like I would say it's like kind of more like a I don't know, maybe italian and spanish like it's still like very easy to understand right. for them but there is like relatively it's been more influenced by germany and okay. and like stuff like that because yeah. they've been under that sphere and same with like czech republic and and um slovakia that's all like its own it's called like i guess western slavic mm-hmm. so that's its own um language group and then there's um i think south slavic which is like 
Slovenian, Croatian, Bosnian, Serbian, Bulgarian, like that area, they all have a very close um, yeah, their lang- language. The, yeah, their language and culture isn't too, too far from each other because mm-hmm. they were all part of the same, they were either part of the same nation or they were just like within within the same the same eco uh, ecosystem for quite some time and it was just they were kind of like fractured states and then yeah like i think i think it comes like i don't i don't remember exactly my history but it's like it comes from the huns like Attila the hun like oh, when the, the huns, huns invaded yeah. the huns are i think are the slavic people that invaded the um eastern roman empire like when it broke up with constantinople okay and then they like basically i think also the Wisigoths and the ostrogoths i think are oh, the also yeah yeah, I don't remember exactly. Maybe they're Slavic, or maybe they're like. Um, I think they're like Mongolian, uh, to be honest. The but Visigoths. Yeah, I don't remember. I, I thought that they're. They're like so, barbaric Germanic. Yeah, because I'm okay. thinking of the Vandals, the Vandals, the Vandals? And the, yeah, the Vandals oh. and the Visigoths. Yeah. I believe that they were. They're still. Maybe Germanic. they're Germanic. Okay. Yeah, they were. They were more. Germanic. So they were basically Germanic, but then eventually, I think the Huns, maybe or um, whatever, the Western Slavs basically came in and uh, took over, and then. Once they had settled there in all of Eastern Europe, then eventually it kind of their languages drifted closer to what, um, to their neighbors, right? So the yeah. German, the Western to the Germans, and then the, the South to like the, um, like the I guess, like Constantinople, like the um, Ottoman Empire and the Italians and all that kind of influence. Mm-hmm. The, the there was the Venetian Empire was part of Croatia, like had a lot of control of Cro- over Croatia and Montenegro. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, and then. Eastern Europe was uh, kind of, you know, its own thing. So, I mean, I think we we pretty much beat beat the subject. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like there's gonna be like profound, um, like the next year. Like I don't know if we're gonna go into a recession. It's quite possible, um, for sure. Like yeah, like Europe. I don't know if they'll be able to secure enough gas for themselves. Yeah. So gas prices in Europe are gonna go crazy. Yeah. You are seeing that the pump, like we see $2 a liter. It might go higher. I don't know. We'll see. But um, yeah, like I think the real the real stuff's going to happen in September. That's my guess. So we you come back to this podcast in September. I think there will be, so once there's famine um, and things like that, like right now, so in my work, we're seeing a lot of shortages in parts. Mm-hmm. Cannot get rubber. Mm-hmm. Cannot get copper. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so uh, so Russia makes a lot of uh, mines, a lot of mines like uh, mine. So right. nickel, cadmium. Um, I think so. Ukraine creates ninety percent of the world's neon. I think it was. Right, right. That's what I heard. Yeah, ninety yeah, percent. Yeah. So like basically can't manufacture chips like silicon like a uh, wafer manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're gonna see like chip shortages even get worse. Uh, there's gonna be like uh, raw material shortages is already starting. Like uh, right now. I have lead times at my work of like over a year to get copper, like things like that. Mm-hmm. Like one year to get copper, that's unheard of. And but aren't like Canadian mines, don't don't we mine copper? Or yeah, but we suck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like basically like nobody wants to like ramp up the mines because they're not that like, like if you were to choose like Chilean mine or Russian mine, which probably has like no labor laws, no minimum wage or whatever, a very low minimum wage. Uh, no environmental regulation mm-hmm. versus trying to expand some Canadian mine that has all this red tape. I've done I've done the um, environmental procedures. It takes like three, four years just to get approval. So if they want to expand it, it's going to take three, four years. And then they have to like have all these high costs. And it's like people are like, nah, this sucks. Like, why would I go here? <laughs> right. So basically they want to go to all these Russian and China. And, uh, so what I would say, what I would say to wrap this up and just kind of like, uh, Kind of get to, get to the point of what we're going to be talking about next is like what are your predictions so we mm-hmm. can return back to this yep. in in September like w- mm-hmm. let's say let's say what do you think what do you think is going to happen yep. and uh, both economically speaking politically mm-hmm. speaking and it'll be fun to yep. to return back to this then yeah so there's going to be a big um, push for EVs which definitely plays back to our first episode if I remember yeah. correctly yeah um, as gas prices go higher. EVs um, get more and more widely adopted. It makes more sense economically to adopt EVs, mm-hmm. um, which will, in the long run, um, wane independence for Russian oil, right? As more uh, more of the grid, it becomes natural, um, renewable energy-based. Like, um, Europe, Europe has already committed that by 
2022, end of 2022, they will like reduce Russian oil by 90%, which is crazy. Like European Union does not move that fast on anything. And like 90% replacing all the natural gas, which is their main, like something like all, like 70% of natural gas comes from Russia, right? Mm. So they've already canceled Nord Stream 2, the pipeline. Um, like it's unheard of like movement by European Union and European Union will definitely shift more to the west, uh, to west. So there's probably going to be a big boom um, in the American economy from that. Uh, Americans going to have great um, sales of wheat, of um, of uh, you know of oil. They're going to do super super well. Um, so invest in anything American is my my prediction. Your Americans going to see amazing uh, stock markets if we get through this like turbulent point and don't get into like a get dragged into the recession, which I think we. USA will avoid um, is my there's gonna be a lot of fear though in the markets you're gonna see a lot of fear in the media people will be very scared but I think uh, ultimately USA is the only one that will come out of here a winner and the West is gonna all move towards the towards the US and then what's gonna happen is by September there's gonna be failed harvest no planting uh, the prices of wheat is gonna go crazy and this is uh, actually what happened in 2011 with the Arab Spring it was caused by a drought, I think, mm-hmm. uh, that failed the crop harvest that year, the wheat harvest, in, specific, in particular the wheat harvest. And all of them revolted, right? And if you remember, it was like everywhere. It was Morocco, it was Egypt. Uh, Morocco actually like stifled it, and they actually kept their king, so that's cool. <laughs> um, uh, but Lebanon, um, Syria. Syria, we're still living through this, the, what happened in, back, in the, back then. Yeah. That was basically... so. After 10 years, you still feel the impacts of that failed harvest, <laughs> which is crazy. And so basically, um, you will see mass rioting. Uh, like people, there's already been mass inflation because of pandemic spending, and that's affected the whole world. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's going to be mass inflation because of component shortages. Mm-hmm. Nobody can afford copper, nobody can afford aluminum, nobody can afford coal, nobody can afford. You won't, like, supply lines through Trans Siberia is. Um, is going to be halted, right? Or it's already been halted. They won't be able to get coal to the to China. China won't be able to heat. China will be screwed uh, when the next winter comes, because winter's done basically right now. Yeah. Right now there's thirty degree weather in Shanghai. <laughs> um, but basically, uh, yeah. So as long as this war continues and they don't surrender, like like Russia does not surrender, which is we just said was impossible. As long as um, USA keeps the supply lines up, helping Ukraine, mm-hmm. basically everyone's sending their own soldiers there, right? Yeah. Um, basically, China screwed and they know it. Uh, India screwed and they know it. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, Iran screwed. Uh, the oil producing countries uh, will be screwed in the long run. They will have nobody buying their oil anymore, especially um, once the supply chain is like resolved and and everything like that. There's going to be mass uh, rioting in the Middle East again, um, especially what happened with Lebanon and the you know the corruption and the explosion that happened a few years ago yeah um and africa is screwed as well so africa can africa has like some of the worst farmland in the world and they need the The continent of yeah the continent of sub-saharan africa okay okay um yeah so like you're gonna see nigeria like um all the brick countries that basically people thought would do really well brazil uh brazil might be helped by the u.s because it's kind of in the American sphere of influence. Yep. You're actually seeing, uh, well, it's pretty funny, like people that were like very pro America, uh, like against America, like um, Bolsonaro, which is the uh, Brazilian president, yep. um, Turkish president Erdogan, and Filipino president Duterte. They're all like, these crazy guys that were like kind of populist nationalist mu- movements that were like kind of against America and pro other rising economies. There's, they're like, suddenly they're all like, oh, we love America. Oh, shit. <laughs> and it's like, oh, look at these like slimy guys, man. And they're all like pivoting and because um, they don't want to be overthrown. They know what's coming for them. They're yeah. like basically screwed. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's like a very big realignment of world order. And if it, pr- I think it's really played out to the U.S.'s favor. Like they played it so well. And it's like setting up U.S. for like a good, I don't know, next 10 years, basically. And all the other countries you might see. Yeah, like, very big problems. Like, you'll see governments being overthrown. Um, like, Kazakhstan, like, where are they going to go? They're fucked. They're there. They can't go. They're going to go to China. And, um, like, yeah, like, I don't know. They, they can't maintain their stability at this point. Um, it's it's going to be complete chaos. 
Okay then. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be doom and gloom, but um, Europe will be fine. They're Europe is food independent. They actually make a lot of food, and they're uh, basically once they solve their oil problem, they're fine. Um, and um, yeah, basically everyone who's not pro West is going to be in for a tough, tough time. Okay then. I mean, we'd like. I'd like to see. I like to see how this rolls out. I I have no. I have no opinion whatsoever. I'm yeah. just kind of like the person that's just on uh, on his porch, just like just like rocking. <laughs> rocking in, you're like, hey. Yeah. Let's oh, just. Yeah. <laughs> because for me, for me, it's it's interesting to see how the world is going to roll out. Uh, sometimes I like to go back to history and just see how things played out then and try and compare to how things are being played out now. Mm-hmm. Let's let's just see how this goes and uh, I yeah, I'd like to I'd like to see what what happens. Unfortunately, there's going to be quite a it's going to be quite a miserable time as well. A lot of people are going to get hurt. Um, there is going to be famine, a lot of deaths are going to happen, but yeah, I mean uh, yeah, it's going to be um, yeah, like I think we're going to look back at the history books. And the narrative is going to be that, um, you know, there was a, a large, you know, uh, period of peace uh, for, you know, from 1950 until now. And then the coronavirus basically, you know, uh, destabilized the world. And that led to this pivotal moment, pivotal moment yeah. where the invasion occurred and a realignment of world order um, that was starting to occur would be undone. And it's going to shape the next 10 years until like 2030, basically. Okay, then. Well, anyway, let's just let's just call call it here and let's let's revisit this. And uh, yeah, yeah, like I think uh, wait for our September podcast and uh, we will definitely revisit this. And it will be very exciting to see how wrong I was because, <laughs> you know, we don't have a crystal ball. And um, but it's always exciting to make these predictions and and see how if we were uh, right or not. Exactly. So, uh, let's just tune off. So, this so, is... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, this is Fox signing out. Thank you for uh, joining and thank you for listening. And this is Hyena. Thanks for listening. And uh, once again, do not at all be offended by anything we say. Or if you are offended, well, that's good. We got your attention. And thanks for tuning in. Have a good one. Take care. <laughs>